0: This is episode number 15 with Don Didowick. Coming up.
1: In all my, you know, Virginia Southern indignity, threw the script in the parking lot and said that I'm not. But I was too embarrassed and humiliated and shy to tell the head of my department what had happened. And That is the wonder of being young and stupid You know what I mean (laughs) You can get by with a lot of stuff Eventually I lost all of that Because as you know more People can tell you no more When you don't really know anything People forgive you I would literally take Cab to the audition And then I was too scared to go in
0: Well, but it isn't that pretentious because that's what happened for you. I mean, that's just how it works. And that's exactly,
1: uh, you just made me almost cry because that's absolutely, no wonder they wanted me to do musicals. (laughs) I should have listened to them.
0: Oh, my God. Hey there, my name is Nathan Agan and this is the Working Actors Journey, bringing you in-depth conversations with actors that have been working professionally for decades. Hope you're doing well out there. We continue Season 2 today, and if you're just joining us, we have a number of fantastic episodes where working actors share where they've been, how they do it, and what they've learned along the way actors who have been putting in the work day in, day out, and who have certainly had their ups and downs like everyone else. These conversations are meant to inspire and reassure you on your journey that you're not alone, you're not crazy, and though the road may be long and challenging, there are rewards ahead. And I really want to help you as an actor out there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss anything ahead and visit the website workingactorsjourney.com where you can get a copy of the guide 12 Top Acting Tips from Season 1. These are some of the best ideas taken from all the episodes compiled in one place and it's waiting for you. There's also a link in the episode description. Today on the show is Don Didowick, an L.A.-based actor who has worked at numerous regional theaters, has lived and worked in both D.C. and New York, and also has a number of film and TV credits. It's kind of fitting that this is episode number 15, because I've known Dawn for about 15 years, and I am so thrilled that we had this conversation. She has such a rich history in the theater, has learned and seen quite a bit, and has such a great attitude about it all. There are so many fantastic quotes and parts to this. We have a lot of laughs, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy this chat. In today's episode, Don and I cover doing industrials, dealing with fear, having mentors, working on new plays, sexual harassment and shame, how to keep working, Yiddish actors, passing it on, being respectful, and lots more. Having great mentors and access to outstanding teachers can make the difference in your career. And that's what this show is hoping to do, to connect you with actors that could change your life and make your acting journey easier and more satisfying. And if you'd like to get exclusive access to additional episodes, bonus content, and items that are available nowhere else, I invite you to become a premium member of the Working Actors Journey, starting at just $2 per month at workingactorsjourney.com slash premium. Just to give you an idea of benefits, I recently sent out an exclusive bonus episode with Robert Pine from episode number one. Members learned more about what he looks for in a script and also how the current state of business, including with services like Netflix, is affecting the middle-class performer. More great insights into the life of a working actor. And they also got to know before anyone else who today's guest was. So if those kinds of insider scoops and bonus content are up your alley, become a premium member. Again, just $2 per month to get started. Plus, by joining, you're ensuring that this show continues. Consider this the most inexpensive and possibly most valuable acting class you'll ever take. Join now at WorkingActorsJourney.com slash premium or see the show notes and episode description for a link. So here's a bit more about Dawn Didowick's journey. She appeared on Broadway in Arthur Miller's All My Sons, with the production winning a Tony Award for Best Revival. Her regional credits include the Actors Theatre of Louisville, Long Wharf Theatre, Hartford Stage Company, the Old Globe Theatre in San Diego, Alabama Shakespeare Theatre, Seattle Rep, and South Coast Repertory Theatre. She did dozens of shows at the Totem Pole Playhouse in Pennsylvania with one of her mentors, Jean Stapleton, who ran the theater with her husband, and who many know as Edith from All in the Family. Dawn was involved in the beginning years of the Humana Festival of New American Plays at the Actors' Theater in Louisville. She developed working relationships with many playwrights, including Marcia Norman, Colleen Dobson-Baker, and James McClure. She's a founding member of the Antillas Theater in Glendale, California, appearing in many of their productions and readings, including a recent role as Big Mama in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, opposite her husband and past guest here, Harry Groner, as Big Daddy. Dawn serves as an honorary board member of the Alpine Theater Project in Whitefish, Montana. She's appeared in the films Aaron Brockovich with Julie Roberts, Breakfast of Champions with Bruce Willis, as well as in a number of independent films produced and starring younger members of the Intias Company. She really is all about supporting the next generation of actors, and we're lucky to count her as a guest here. Are you looking for more info from industry insiders and great teachers about being an actor? And do you want this as something you can listen to on the go? Well, you're in luck. As a listener of the Working Actors Journey podcast, Audible is offering you a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial. Whether it's one hour or 15 hours, it doesn't matter. Whatever you want, that first item is totally free. To download your audiobook today, go to workingactorsjourney.com slash audible. Here are a few recommendations for your acting journey. The Actor's Life by Jenna Fisher from The Office, read by the author and others, including our guest, Reed Burney. Secrets of Screen Acting by Patrick Tucker, a TV and film director, read by David Lawrence the Seventeenth. Respect for Acting by Uda Hagen, read by Angel Masters. Get one of these or anything else at WorkingActorsJourney.com slash Audible. We take a huge stroll down memory lane for Don, and she talks about things that she hasn't thought about in years, sometimes ever, and we're finally getting some of her career down. Not only are there great stories, but so much wisdom and lessons learned, I know you'll have a lot of takeaways from the whole thing. And I'll just mention that when we were done with this interview, we just kept talking. We would get into more stories about theater and catching up. She's such a sweet person, and I know you'll feel the same way. So here we go with episode number 15. Please enjoy my chat with Dawn Didowick.
1: I saw that you were with Jonathan McMurtry, Uh,
0: which I thought was
1: so glad they were honoring him. You know, we worked. I worked with Jonathan. Oh, really? At the Globe? Oh, sure, because uh, anybody who's done seasons at the Globe—that's true, (laughs)
2: yeah—has
1: worked with Jonathan. And I, I remember I did Midsummer with him. It was the second time. That Jack, o, you know Jack O'Brien's famous production of Midsummer. He had done it, and then they brought it back. And I was in that production as Hermia. It was, and it was a lot of wonderful people. David Ogden Stiers
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: was Oberon, and oh, yeah. I, and Jonathan was. Uh, he was in that. He was almost. I think he was in almost everything I ever did at the Globe. Mm. He was just, you know, a mainstay of that kind of theater and those kind of when you're when you're interviewing and talking about long haul actors right those kind of actors were so important to a community you know sometimes they get taken for granted because they stay somewhere but i came up in a time where actors could have lives in regional theaters you know i mean i sure. think, I, I remember there were certain actors that i worked with at one theater And they would be at that theater five years and then they'd move on and they'd be at another theater so their kids could go to school. They could, they could buy homes. They could have lives like that. That very rarely exists anymore. The, the alley was, I don't even think the alley does it anymore, but they were the longest lasting. Mm -hmm. But my time of all of those people in the regional theater scene, you could choose if you wanted to and that's probably what I would have chosen to stay in the regional theater world because it was uh, I was able to navigate that and with my commercial earnings and things like that I could have an an okay life right for a woman alone (laughs)
0: sure well okay so taking it back to the somewhat quasi farm roots of, of Virginia yeah. So your dad had kind of more of a office or, or,
1: um, well, it, later in his life. it, it okay. the, the roots of my life, uh, in Virginia, I doubt have anything to do with the bearing on my, well, that isn't true. You know, it, that isn't true because I would probably the church life on both sides of my family, uh, on my father's side, I probably got the, love of theater. Certainly you're introduced to iambic pentameter, pentameter for the first time when you hear the King James Version of the Bible. Hmm. That's when I learned how to read it. Probably when you first have your Christmas pieces and all of that. I didn't learn until later on in life. My mother, who would always coach me in things, you know, in those days when my mother was growing up, there were the great actress managers and actor managers who took tours all through the country and they would take them particularly in the south. There were wonderful theaters there. And they would then, if there was a child in the show, they would cast a child uh, from the local area, not have a child on the tour with them. Hmm. And I found out later that my mother had been uh, cast at times that she was particularly good at dying. <sighs> and I... <laughs> And I actually kind of inherited her skills because I remember that, even though this was an area of Virginia, our school, even though it was a small school compared to some, we had an excellent forensics in those days forensics program, and we would often win we would we would be we were very competitive and then you'd go to the University of Virginia and you'd do your plays and you'd have your you know, your competitions. And I I think that the fact, and this is a testament to art in the schools, because we had theater, we had music, things that people no longer have in certain areas of the country. Sure. We were privileged to have, and that helped a lot. But that was a community thing, and that was, um, I think, also that besides the school and the church, I know that, I mean, I, we actually had, I was the actress, my friend Janet Jones was the producer-director, and my friend Wincy Dinges was the writer, and we would put on things. We did an adaptation of The Little Match Girl that we took to, it was so successful in one church, we just took it to other churches, when, and I was able to use my great skill at dying. Crawling down the aisles at the end. It was very, very dramatic.
0: So, when did you get a sense that, um, you know, this could be something you would actually pursue as a career?
1: That's that funny thing where other people told me that's what I was going to do. Okay. But the kind of circumstances, the kind of the way that things, the way we grew up, then you didn't, I didn't say it, I just, I just put one foot in front of another and headed for places where, because I, for whatever reason in that small community, I had done a lot of plays. I do remember I had much more gumption as a child than I did as an adult hmm. because you say, when do you, you know, do you fight for a role? Well, no, I, I'm not a person who fought for a role, but when I was a kid, I remember the first really great role I got was a chicken in an Easter play. I mean, it was the rabbit in the Easter play, because, which was a really existential kind of role because the rabbit was having a kind of breakdown because she couldn't lay the eggs, and it was the chicken who laid the eggs. And she was doubting herself, and the chicken kept yelling at her, don't be a dumb cluck. I remember that line so well. But I got the role because I raised my hand when the teacher said, does anybody have white pajamas with feet in them? And I said, no, but... I have such old blue ones, and they 're faded, and so they 're almost white and My mother was horrified <laughs> that I would uh that would out us in that way. but I got that role because <laughs> because of that, and from then it was just Katie by the door i was I was off and running, mm-hmm. but I mean there were colorful people. My grandfather on one side had a dancing bear i don't think that's wow. theater, but it's <laughs> yeah. But the community seemed to know. I remember being cast as, I must have been seven or eight, and um, I remember that the power of that first laugh. It was a play that was being done for the community, and all of the little girls who came out had to hug the man, Ronnie Reinhardt, who was playing the father. And I was very shy about those kinds of things. And I said, no, I will do this, but I won't hug him. And, of course, there's never doubt in their mind that I would hug him. But I told them over and over, and whenever we'd have rehearsal, I would not hug him. And so when it came to the night, and it came out, and it was our cue, and it came out, and everybody ran up and hugged him, and I ran up, and he was, and I didn't hug him, and I got a huge laugh. I went. Oh, sometimes. <laughs> oh, it isn't it funny the things you remember, the of things course, that yeah. you remember after. So no, I I had always I always hoped, but I didn't I didn't talk about it so much when I went to uh, D.C. and when I was in school. Oddly enough, the jobs that I got were jobs that eventually became you know union <laughs> jobs i i was i started working in the field because at that time there was a thing called the united states information agency
2: mm-hmm. okay
1: and there were films that were made and basically I think you would call them propaganda films hmm. you know about but but that's not you know and I remember there was an actress who Years later, when I was always in the regional scene, and her name I think it was Mickey Grant, and if I was doing Lou Anne Hampton, Laverty, Overlander, and Louisville, she was doing it in uh, I don't know, India or Cincinnati or Indiana. Sure, yeah. And she had been my, she, I had been the blonde girl, and she had been the brunette girl, and we were, we were in those films together with the perfect families and the, all of that. There were just. There were commercials, there were ways of making a living.
0: Well, so I want to jump in there and just hear more about, were you studying theater at American University?
1: Yes, and I would go back and forth. It was just, it was an odd time, Nathan, because there were people who were passing through that school. I mean, I remember doing one of the, I did a lot of plays, there, but some of the ones, I can't remember, but I did a production of Three Sisters there that still to this day, people talk about. Um, There was a man who named F. Cole Strickland. He's written theater books. He had an influence on a lot of people. He was not a regular, Dr. Yoakam was the head of the department, but F. Cole Strickland was a director, a guy who directed at arena stage. And so to get him there, they let him do what he wanted. And so he peopled his productions with the students would play, for instance, I was arena, but if he had to get a machine and he got an actor in the community, somebody who would work to arena or somebody like that. So our productions were quite often pretty good,
2: you mm. know? Yeah.
1: And, um, but I remember it was just a time where there were very interesting people. I remember doing at that. I've never talked about that. Was funny. It's like one of the productions I did of the trial that, as so I played this, and there, and by the way, there are actors who are out here who are still, Burke Burns, I worked with him for years. In this play, the person who played the lead ingenue was Goldie Hawn. Hmm. On her way to, it was just a bunch, of, there was um. she became kind of famous until she died, who was in the school, but she, it was music with her, and, that, and she became, her name was Cassell, she became Mama Cass.
2: Oh, okay, yeah.
1: So it was a time where in that little, you know how certain pockets of people were all passed through and, and um, on their way. <laughs> That's sort of what this bunch was like. And I got, I won, I got some kind of scholarship from the National Arts and Letters Society and I took that and I went back and forth between DC and New York and I, I studied with Milt Goodsellers and then i studied with uda hagen so there was both the university but then there was this other thing that happened to me later in new york but i went back and forth because i had i was able to earn good money in industrials and trade shows and i had clients and i learned a lot about what you have to do Business wise to keep going and I traveled around the country. Uh, It was both good and bad because I could earn money. Uh, and then finally I did land in New York, but it took me a while. I had had a situation happen that had just made me think that I wasn't going to ever come to New York, that I would go in and out, but that I could have a, I could work Eventually, in regional theaters, I started in Washington at the Washington Theatre Club, which was a very kind of exciting place and At a very young age, I started working had no idea what I was doing uh On one hand, I was doing the classics at the university, but at this theater, I was Grandma in the sandbox Stella and pinder's collection I can't remember I did some Picasso play i well, not there, but at another, that I played Eurydice and Orpheus. and Eurydice. I mean, it was a very exciting... I mean, I, I could have stayed in that area. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, I mean, in my mind, I could have stayed there. And then, as I was getting paying jobs or getting calls, because I they would call the unit... The, the head of department would say, so-and-so has called, and I had gone to an audition that had put me off so much that I thought I would never go to New York. And eventually I was able to get over that.
0: And was it the attitude of the director or, or the circumstances? or what Well, it,
1: yeah, I had done, you know, work. I mean, besides the fact that I was working at the university and doing plays there as a student, but um, I was also, as I said, at the Washington Theater Club. So I don't know how. This person had called the university, and they were, it was a director from New York. And you know when you're in another town, you think that a director from New York, that's a big deal. Sure. You know what I mean?
2: Right, of course. So,
1: and you're a student. So, it was an adaptation of Miss Julie, set in the South,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and the... Other actors, two of the other actors I knew, one of them I had worked with had a wonderful working relationship and a continuing then lifelong relationship because he went to New York and became a a wonderful African American actor named J.A. Preston who eventually got known because he did Body Heat. Okay. And then he did certain um, movies and uh, he, he worked in New York quite a bit. So he was in it. So I, that, and another woman that I had done things with, but when I had the audition with the director and I got the role, then there was, uh, he had asked that, I don't know, it's like dinner. And we went to dinner and it was, it was an interview in which he then, after I'd had the role, started asking me the most intimate of questions. Hmm. You know, this is these these are the stories that have, sparked the Me Too movement. Right, of course, yeah. And then it culminated in, I find that when I work with an actress in a role like this, that it's best for us to live together during that time.
0: Oh, geez.
1: And I, in all my, you know, Virginia Southern indignity, drew the script in the parking lot and said that I'm not. But I was too embarrassed and humiliated and shy To tell the head of my department what had happened.
2: Sure. Mm. I
1: wouldn't, didn't tell them. I just, because they knew I had gotten the role, but I said that something hadn't worked out. I just, I just couldn't. You know, I thought this was an important person and that my not being able to, I I was not going to allow this to happen to me and so I just couldn't. I somehow associated all of New York and everything that was going to happen to me. And then eventually, it was so interesting because when I went to New York, and you know, in the old days in New York, you would go to equity. There was the equity office. Mm -hmm. Everybody went there. And you would go and you'd look for casting calls and that kind of thing if you didn't have an agent. And I remember the first time I went there, there he was. And instead of looking like a big New York director, he just like, look like a sad little out-of-work man, you know what I mean? Mm.
2: <laughs>
1: and all the years that I was in New York, I would see him from time to time. Never once did he ever speak to me or say anything, nor did I to him. But, I think about that now, and how it it did affect me. Then I got a call after that. It was hysterical because I turned down something I would have loved. There was a call from a man who was called Randy the Amazing and of course, it turned out he's a famous magician.
2: Mm-hmm. but
1: the fact that I got a call from somebody that frightened me
2: right, and
1: he's a famous magician who then became more famous for outing. Uh, psychics and magicians and things like that. So oh, I would yeah, not go yeah. to... I, and yes, and he had something, I think, to do with the magic show, which eventually went to Broadway. But I was too nervous. But then I got... Then there was a call that came in, and it was to audition for they were going to have a children's theater company and it was out and then they were going, and the theater itself was a summer stock company, well-known and well-respected, but I was auditioning for the children's theater company and I became part of that and thought that that would be my life because we, we went to everything. We went to hospitals. We went to mental institution. We, besides schools, I I found it very, Rewarding, and then I got my equity card um, because then I eventually became part of that stock company, and that's the theater that was run by the man named William Putch, who kind of formed my work ethic.
2: Mm-hmm. His
1: wife was Jean Stapleton. Right. From them, I learned so much. From her, I did many plays with her.
0: Yeah, and and Jean's a fascinating woman because she had uh, you know, great success in the theater and then did All in the Family and then decided at a certain point, I need to stop playing Edith, and it's just a character, and I want to go back to the theater.
1: Yes, oh yes. She was always, I mean, she always was a theater actress. I did, um, and she, I never thought of her as leaving the theater. I mean, there were plays I did with her twice. The show off I did Mm -hmm, one time I played, I was the young woman, Amy. And then the next time I did it, I was with her. I was Clara, the older daughter. And, um, it was a great training ground. Some of those people, I was lucky that the people that I worked with and I, I worked with people like Jean and Sada Thompson, these may be before your time. Mm -hmm. For instance, when I did the matchmaker at, uh, Hartford that was uh and Dan Sullivan directed sayta Thompson was an actress of a time and it tur- and she was it was funny because she was a very, very close friend of Bill Putch's and some of the roles that I did with him she had done with him prior to that, so there was this handing down. Which is why Anteus appeals to me, because I had that happen to me, and I want to do it with and for others. Right. It's the whole historical thing that kind of throws me. I guess the reason, one of the reasons they're on my mind is I a couple of, I don't know, months. I'm not good with time, Nathan, which is a good and bad thing. <laughs> um, Michael Gross. you remember Michael Gross? Sure,
0: yeah. From uh, sent, He did Family Ties and lots of other stuff, yeah.
1: Yes. Um, Michael Gross sent me a picture and it had been uh, he and Meredith Baxter Barney were at the Totem Hall Playhouse doing love letters and there's a wall there that has people who've done 25 or more plays and it's not a lot of people but my picture's there so he sent it to me saying guess where I am so they've been on my mind and since then I've seen both of the kids that mm-hmm. um, Bill Putch And Jean Stapleton had two children, both of whom became very successful in the field. One is a TV director, and the other is a uh, an executive. Has been an executive with, I guess it's NBC, but she's been very successful. And um, they've been sending out. I just received just recently a picture of a production of Bus Stop I did there.
2: Oh yeah, all
1: those yeah, all those memories are flooding back. So those places, actors were able to, I dare say I don't know young people who can say I was able to do 25, just think of being able to do 25 plays, most of them leads, just one after another, right. and Not and not always, you know. Yes, I did all the British sex comedies, but I also did Come Back Little Sheba, and I did Inja, I did Bus Stop, mm-hmm. and I did The Show Off, and I did very serious kinds of plays there to be able to do that and to also there were other theaters that I did many plays at plus the regionals I don't know if there are opportunities like that for young people anymore which is why theaters and um, organizations like Antias are so important because where else are you going to get it I mean I knew that if I Actor Cedar, I'd be at the Globe, St. Louis Rep, Hartford Stage, Seattle Rep. I mean, the list goes on, of all the places.
0: So, did you have goals in your mind, or how did you work on? Okay, I want to start getting to these different regional theaters. I mean, how how did it, or was it just was it just <laughs> the wind that blew you from place to place?
1: Well, I wish I could, if I had had a plan who knows what would have happened but i try to think that there are re- no you know some people i didn't have a plan because i i just went to new york uh eventually
2: mm-hmm.
1: um eventually what i mean i was always going to new york because i had the i was lucky enough that my roommate in college i would go and i would stay with her and i would um and then i'd get something and i'd go back to dc or i'd go off and eventually i became i lived in New York, and then, when I started really concentrating on doing regional theater and um because before that, I would do a lot of these industrials do a lot of this stuff because it was it was good money and once I started getting some commercials, I had enough of i mean i had waited i'm a practical, Till I had some a, a little bit of a savings that mm-hmm. when I came to New York that I was going to be able to take care of myself. These are things they don't teach you in school.
0: <sighs> right, of course. And, and now, were you just auditioning for these industrials and commercials on your own, or were you had, did you have no, age in no, D.C.? Had to get, okay.
1: New York was better than L.A. You have to have agents. And when I first came to New York, that, of course was the thing in DC I was able I knew people Mm -hmm. I knew the agencies and one agency sends you to I mean I got my first job Nathan I didn't even know I didn't even have a resume Mm. I remember the man saying when he hired me that my first the first USIA film he went I said I don't have a resume and he said to the guy God help me am I really going to do this (laughs) It said, and that is the wonder of being young and stupid, you know what I mean? <laughs> you can get by with a lot of stuff. Right.
2: Um,
1: eventually, I lost all of that because as you know more, people can tell you no more. When mm-hmm. you don't really know anything, people forgive you. Right. But as you know more...
0: <laughs> well, and so when when you were going, you know, back and forth to New York, or even you made the, the decision to be up there, was there ever any... Intimidation, uh, auditioning alongside or working alongside people who had gone to Yale or Juilliard, you know, feeling like well, that, you needed. Yes, it, it,
1: here, here was the thing. When I was in D.C., I honestly thought that because of my kind of crazy how I got into the business, right. how I kind of started doing it, which was these, I mean, these kind of odd, I would just go to these things and get them. But I didn't really at that time have an agent. I felt that because I had gone to this school, because in in DC, everybody went to Catholic University and Father Hartke, and I had been with this odd bunch of people who went on to, some of them became famous movie stars, but many of them, like me, worked all their lives. But we didn't have the, we didn't have the cachet that the Catholic University had, we didn't have, and I thought, Um, because I hadn't gone to Yale or Juilliard or Carnegie or any of those schools, that I was lacking something, and I really was intimidated. When I first would go up to New York, I would literally take a cab to the audition, and then I was too scared to go in, because I didn't Mm -hmm. think that my background. And then I started getting jobs, and I started working with people. And realizing that, I don't know how to say this nicely, but that, oh, no, it didn't matter. I was qualified. Right. But I didn't know because I didn't have the, do you know what I mean? I didn't have that pedigree. I thought that that pedigree, and it kept me, as I said, fear kept me from doing many things, fear and feeling inferior to the people who had a certain kind of credentials, and I eventually, just by the very fact that I was working, I, I would see it, at first I started seeing it in the classes I took, and I thought, huh. And then I started, particularly after I started getting jobs, I went, oh, okay. And so I just kept going on. I didn't have a plan. So that I, I was too, I was my own worst enemy, as I think, Actors who have those kinds of feelings, I would be too embarrassed. I would do auditions for very, before I got an agent, because I got commercial agents very easily, and I had opportunities, but everybody in New York thought that I was a singer-dancer, no matter what I said to them. Hmm. That I was, everybody thought that's what I was, and I would get calls, I could get into anything. If it was a musical, but I kept telling them that I didn't do musical. But there was something about my look, my aspect, my energy that they thought that I was a musical person.
0: It's so fascinating because, you know, even not having the quote unquote pedigree you mentioned, you know, you're you're studying or or took classes with Uta Hagen.
1: Yes, I got in. Yes. Yes. I would just it's like everything. I'm telling you, in those days, I remember a job that I got that was very interesting. There had been an actor, Channing, somebody had been a friend of mine. I've worked in some job. He said, and you never know who people are. And there was going to be a season, out at, you know, the John Drew Theater in East Hampton. Okay. And there was going to be a season there. And I'd already done, well, was this the first time I did it? Many plays that I did, and back in those days, I didn't. Plays more than once, which is also a good thing. I didn't, you know, but this was a production of what the Butler saw. And this was a season that Edward Albee and Richard Barr, who produced all of Edward Albee's plays, decided that they wanted to do a season and they wanted to direct. Mm -hmm. Orton plays and their plays. Richard Barr, who was a famous producer at the time, um, and he wanted to direct and Albee wanted to direct. So I literally, Channing said to me, "Um, they're doing it, and they're doing the season this summer, and they're doing what the butler saw. I'll tell him that you would be a good person. I'll mention him to And, of course, I go into the office. I literally just walk in the door, and the, the, the woman takes me, I mean, somebody takes me in, I guess, but I go in the door, and I introduce myself, and I say, oh, yes, I know about you, fine. Yeah, that'll be great, and we'll see you at, and I just gave me the job. Wow. Now, granted, on one hand, great things like that happened in unplanned ways, Um, but on the other hand, it's because in that situation, I honestly don't know. Whoever knew me must have said, you know, and it worked out really well and the production went really well very interesting i uh, betsy von Furstenberg, some guy who's that everybody would remember some i can't remember but he was a big soap opera star but he was like a lot of those guys that were soap opera stars they had been theater actors and they wanted to have some money right and they made him. and it was quite a wonderful and exciting time where i learned i learned a lot as i always did and i continued to Just kind of, I don't know, Nathan, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You would want certain agents and you would want to go up for certain roles. And please stop saying, you know, that you're going to sending me in for a musical that I'm going to have to say no to. That was a fear, too. I probably should have explored. Not that I didn't study voice. I did study voice. Uh, And my voice teacher was always trying to get me to go for things, sent me to people. But I I had some bad coaches that frightened me. And so that was not, I mean, when I married Harry, I said, no windows, no musical auditions. (laughs) (laughs) I was really afraid of it.
0: Well, I wanted to just highlight something that you talked about. You know, you said you, you kind of just went in and got the job. And, you know, I see that as, you know, that's the opportunity, but then, but then you have to show up and do the work, you know, and that of course will, you know, uh, determine if you keep working, you know, that, that if you show up, they like your look, but you don't know what you're doing, your, your luck will run out pretty quickly.
1: Yes. And you, and the more you work, the, the thing is that, yes, I studied with some very good people and I studied, In a certain, one certain way, but I was never locked into Mm
2: -hmm. just
1: the mid-Atlantic. I mean, I took two years in New York where I studied with a Shakespeare teacher named Robert Smith, who just was the opposite of everything I'd ever learned in school when it came to, and I studied, um, and, and that's how, and that's how I came to do Juliet, uh, in Romeo and Juliet at the York Players. Mm. And then from that, I did many plays at the York Players in New York, which was a wonderful place to do. So one thing would lead to another. Sometimes you would sacrifice one thing, but it would lead to another. Do you know what I mean? Sure.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and that was something that was definitely a recurring theme for you was working a number of times at, at one theater. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you feel like you uh, maintain that relationship or, or, you know, what did you do so that, you know, year after year or even uh, a few years in between, you know, you'd come back?
1: I remember, you know, this is, you know, I'm going to say something and it's uncomfortable, but I'm going to say, tell you what a director said to me once, Mm -hmm. which is what, when I came to his theater to work, he said to me, you are the perfect regional theater actress. You have an age span of 30 years, and you are able to do almost every single kind of theater. So it was very helpful to have somebody there who could, do you know, and Mm -hmm. that's the kind of people that would be. Sometimes I remember I would do, I did plays in which the ingenue may have been older than me, do you know what I mean, or the leading lady. Um, Not all the time, but things like that could happen, but I had, for the most part, it was because I could do comedy, I could do drama, I could do a southern play, I could play the kind of woman in sexual perversities in Chicago, or I could play the kind of woman in rural Texas.
0: Right. And do you feel like understanding all these styles or demands just came from doing the plays?
1: Well, it came from, when you study, you eventually, it's like religion, you take from each of these disciplines, Mm -hmm. and you create your own, uh, you create your own way of working. When you say to me, when you were asking me at one point in some letter about how you work, well the first thing I do is I take the play, I turn it over, I look at the title, and I look at the author. If it says Cat on a Hot Tin Roof by Tennessee Williams, I have a pretty good idea, considering the playwright, what kind of play it is. Mm -hmm. But you you start at the... Now, Now, strangely enough, that's what I always did. I never studied with Stella Adler, and then I found out that that's something that Stella Adler always told her (laughs) students. But on one hand, I might approach a Williams play in the same way... On certain levels, but I probably approach playing Cecily in importance of being earnest Mm -hmm. somewhat differently, just because when I look at the play and I look at the playwright, I know that I'm going to be in an English garden. I know that I need to do my study, that the reason I probably don't eat is that I have on white gloves in which the buttons come up all the way halfway up and to get the glove off and that the cucumber sandwiches weren't like cucumber sandwiches we see today in mm-hmm. those little, they were rolled up. So you could take the very tip of it was like a little roll, like a cigarette. Oh, okay. These are all things that I would study and learn about when I'm doing the importance of being earnest
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the very costume and how I sit and how I behave and whether The politics of the day, the morals of the day, what's going on in the world, the climate, everything. So you just have to be a lifelong sponge and you never stop studying. The play, the time, the place, they all affect how you do a certain play. But the study is the same. And I became like Harry um i became a person who had one way of approaching a role and eventually i became a person who really is almost off book before i go into in the old days when i first started out you know as we were taught oh you can't learn your lines until you know where you're going and all that stuff now part of that was we didn't have time because we went from one play to the other.
2: Right. You know what I mean? Right, right.
1: You were doing a play at night when you're in when you're in that, you're doing a play at night and you're rehearsing in the daytime. And so for another one. And it's not just as a matter of age, it's a matter of, of finding out that you are not the kind of actor that's going to be locked in because you know your words. You're going to be freed. Right. Freed to explore more. So your process changes.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, you bring, you bring up Harry and, and I actually, you know, I do want to ask a, a couple of questions because, uh, I know he's been such a big part of your life. When you met him, he was choreographing, uh, some cheers in the play Vanities. And then pretty quickly you were both actors, uh, in a Christmas carol after that. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you picked up anything early on from his technique and, and?
1: No, not, no, you know? not, not then. Okay. Uh, these were things that we came to, No, you know, early on, I certainly appreciated Harry's work, but these were things that we developed
2: mm-hmm.
1: as we worked around, because I, Harry and I worked together on those plays, and I was doing, it's like, I was doing Lewin Hampton, Laverty Overlander, he was probably playing Nick and Virginia Woolf, I can't remember <laughs> right. which year was which, right, but... Right. Um, and I remember when I find when I started seeing him, I knew that he was multi-talented, but I didn't quite understand about this musical thing,
2: Okay. how
1: good he really was. And so I remember the first show he got, which would have been the first Broadway show, okay. the musical version of Playboy the Western World. Hmm. They were doing it out of town at Co-Host New York, and I remember I had flown in, I was working somewhere, I'd come in... And the people who were doing a very interesting group of people had had Jacques Levy and Margot Sappington, the whole old Calcutta crew, but I came in and Jacques Levy said about something about the dancer, and I said, "Oh, does he dance?" He said, "You don't know what a good dancer is, <laughs> and you're engaged." <laughs> I didn't realize. I was I was stunned when oh, I thought yeah. it. that 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 production had to come to New York. Unfortunately, it was at the time of the large newspaper strike. Oh. And that's one of the reasons it didn't come in. But the numbers and the physical comedy that he did in that show was some of the most extraordinary I've ever seen in any show anywhere. And I'm so sorry that a larger audience didn't get to see it. Yeah.
0: Well, I know Harry and you have worked Together, you know, in the same plays a number of times over the years. And I was curious what your routine is when when you're working together. Do you try to keep the work separate from your personal life? Is there no division? Is it all constantly rehearsing wherever well, you are? It depends
1: on the play. Yeah. Um, there was when we did Cat on a hot Tin roof, there were scenes in it, we would never we, we never rehearsed it at home. People all thought always thought that we rehearsed it. We never rehearsed it at home. Okay. It was too
0: yeah. They're they're heavy. <laughs> it was too raw,
1: and it yeah. was not that kind of thing. When we were, I remember when we were doing the bear, we did rehearse a little bit at home. Now, when we were on the road, we did we did a very interesting production. There's a playwright named Ray Cooney who's still alive, who is probably one of the few modern living playwrights that writes parses. You know how hard parsers are to write. Mm-hmm. And um so when people might not understand how well constructed his plays are, I did them when I was when I was a young cute thing, I did his um British sex parses. But he wrote but they are ex- extremely funny and he was doing a play the coconut grove playhouse and this was tony randall's last play okay called caught in the net and ray directed it now that play every day we ran the lines every day we we run lines together Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but we do not the same way when we did born yesterday when i did billy dawn we ran lines but we don't Necessarily work on it. You know, we may discuss it when we're out to dinner. We may sure. discuss things, but we don't, we don't impose because, because that's stuff that we, we do with the director. We're pretty disciplined about all of that. We're very disciplined about the line thing because mm-hmm. usually there are a lot of them and you need to, you know, when you do a play, Nathan, you just, that's what your life is. That's the other thing people, I think that's been the shocking thing for my brother to learn. You know, people in my family, that when you do a play, you start out, it, your whole day is sort of about it. How right. you go about your day right. is about what you're going to do that night or that matinee.
0: Sure, yeah. You you start thinking about it, you know, six hours before you yes. have to get to the theater, right.
1: Yes. It's not, you know, what you can't do the night before what you do do during the day what how much you can take on that's why I've, it's always so much easier in a way when you're doing regional theater because you're not at your home where you have all those things well i I guess I could take care of cleaning this closet or i you know I'll do this paperwork or right. this extra thing there you concentrate on the play, and when you're doing certain kinds of plays, you just have to because physically. It's all about keeping your energy and your focus. I don't think people quite realize that. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a great point, and it really uh, until you have to do it and you you discover it yourself, you're like, oh, I yeah, I got to pay attention to this. This isn't something I can just I can wing. Yeah, it is really important.
1: Just like I've learned from all the great actors that I have worked with. Um, Yes, you learn things and we have a shorthand um just the same way I said I probably work on certain plays a little differently than I do others right. depending on what they are I I I may even though it is the same process there's always something a little different depending up, upon and I think that um, the same thing happens that Harry and I over the years have gleaned things from each other's process. We both have a similar work ethic. Right. We both have a, um, a similar dedication and devotion. Uh, he's a research junkie to the extent that I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I, I think the worst I've ever seen him, I mean the best, in the worst, <laughs> but it was hysterical. Um, He was doing the play with Frank Galati at Steppenwolf, and he read 52 books.
0: Holy cow. Yeah. How did he have time to do the show?
1: Well, (laughs) because in those situations, we've come to a point, and that's that's also the thing that happens in an actor's life. When you first start working, you just want to work. Right. For the most part, unless you are... Somebody who from the beginning has a plan, has that kind of agent, who has a, you just want to work. And working is, a, and then you go, I don't want to just work. I want to work with, do certain roles. It becomes about the role. Or maybe even, um, depending on, on, on the director, it becomes about that. And then it becomes about, I want to make some frigging money.
2: <laughs> yep, yep.
1: You know, or you want to make a career move that puts you in a certain, uh, category and it becomes about career. And then eventually it probably goes back down again towards, uh, if you are lucky enough to have made some money and been wise about not going crazy, which happens to some people when they start making money, they live a lifestyle that's, it's like we knew when we were in the series money, that we couldn't always live on serious money sure. because it would be episodic money again. Do you know what I mean? Right. So we were always very, we were careful. And when we could have gone mad, we didn't go mad. And you go, if I'm going to take a role, I want Harry for certain kinds of roles. He knows a year in advance, and we plan our year. Okay. So that's why he read 52 books. Got it. (laughs) um, (laughs) You know, and and sometimes you can make that commitment if you're comfortable enough that you can say, yes, I will do this um, and -and so-and-so for you, and I will do this and -and so-and-so for you. Um, So it's always an ever-fluctuating process of decisions about, am I some people never get out of the money thing. Mm -hmm. I worked with an actor on a film. I'm not going to name him, but he's never, I don't think either had a movie or a television show. And he's a very good actor and he takes it seriously. But he said to me, I'm about the money. I have, he just has to be always making big money. I get that. I get that. I think we all would like to, but sometimes our decisions are based on how we want to live our life. Mm -hmm. And if we can, if we have enough money to live that we won't be, and that doesn't happen that often, Nathan, you know, I think Angie said something about the middle class actor or (laughs) some ways, the upper middle class actor, um, having enough money to, have a mortgage or own your home or all of that. That's not as possible as it used to be because as we have more work, the work is in some ways diminished because I'm just now, I mean, that job that I just did last week. Now I don't know what those jobs are going to turn out. You know, is that going to be a world where actors can make a good living? Is there a podcast world? I mean, this is, I told you, it was exciting to me because (laughs) I've never done anything where I'm working with actors in England. Yeah. I found that really interesting and it, it pays okay, but I've done web series mm-hmm. and had a wonderful role on a web series, you know, really great and it's all sanctioned by my union, but those webs and Hulu replays them and different people replay them, but the actor isn't getting the proper renumeration and i that's all it's all new wild west territory for us out there, yeah, so i'm glad there's so much work, but I used to know you know when I did a commercial that I was probably going to be okay for the year
0: hmm.
1: i don't know if people who do commercials know that anymore i
0: don't i don't know I think you're absolutely right and and, and certainly the amount of work and and time it can take. Just to book a commercial or book a co-star role, you know, you're really lucky if you're booking one a month, but that may not even pay for your rent that month. Um, yes. You know, and so it's a very different landscape.
1: Absolutely. And that's that's why, I, I mean, I don't understand. When I was in New York and I had, I still don't know, I never had to work. I never had to live. I had a roommate, dear beloved Claudia Stern, who is no longer with us. But for the most time, I lived by myself, was able to find ways to, you know, maintain the apartment. And then eventually when I met Harry, we had that apartment and then eventually we had our apartment in Chelsea. Right. But I, I don't know how they do it. I, I guess people live five, six people to apartment. Grown people.
2: Right, right.
1: I think that's how they do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. And I don't know how many theaters out there I don't see people like my friend Henry Strozier who raised his family, or John Prosky, his father. Sure. In the arena. Those are the people I grew up seeing, and that would have been a very good life. That was going to be the life I had chosen and come to. Even though I didn't have a plan, I eventually, I went, well, this is what I'll be doing. But then I met Harry, mm-hmm. and I did realize that this was something different, that he was a triple threat, and I just had this feeling. That he was going to be able to work in all of the areas. Right. Pretty steadily.
0: When I was researching, maybe it just wasn't online, but I, I didn't see a lot of work for you when he was in New York doing crazy for you.
1: No, I took, that was the, uh, it was the first time in my life that I, well first of all, I'd never really thought about the thing about marriage and, and he really needed that show took every amount of energy he had. Mm. I mean, he never complained about it or anything like that, and people right. didn't know. But I just did pretty much everything. Now, we had a house out here, and we had something. We had stuff, and somebody had to, you know... When you don't have stuff, it's easier <laughs> to just go up. But we had stuff, and we had to do things to maintain that stuff. And... It really meant a lot to him for me to be there and to have those years with him. So what I did was, to keep myself from going crazy, I didn't want to go out of town. And my friend Colleen Dodson-Baker, and as you know, I think I mentioned to you, I've always had friends who were playwrights. They had a thing in New York, she worked for Time, and she had a thing called Writer's Recess. And so I had that. I would go off to Montana to uh with the new playwriting festivals and uh I would <clears throat> I had that to keep me from you know, I would do that kind of thing. But but that's what I did and and that that was okay for a while. But eventually, you know, it's like I wasn't gonna go out of town anymore.
2: Right.
1: And then out here <laughs> and I certainly wasn't going to out here and we had I we'd come to things that we really liked to do and we had a certain kind of life. but then I had that thing in 2014 where I just the fence fell over and the sewer backed up and the, this happened and I had to get a hundred foot fence built in so many days and just one thing after another And Harry was in Chicago and so when this audition came up for the Tempest that Teller mm-hmm, and um mm-hmm. Aaron Posner did. Right. I said I'm going and when I got it, I said I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was it was I just needed to do it. And so I guess I'm still capable of saying, No, gotta gotta go do that. Now and that was a, that was certainly a good thing to do because it was such an extraordinary um process of, you know, kind of well known and pretty good playwright Shakespeare.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then yeah. all of these, I mean, Palabalos for the movement and Tom Waits music and Teller's magic and having being and seeing Shakespeare sell out in Las Vegas was pretty right. thrilling as it sold out at ART. So no, it's just that same thing, Nathan. I say you, you, you make, Different decisions as time goes on, and the kind of life you've set up that you can make those decisions.
0: Um, was that what led you to doing more film and TV work at that time? Because I mean, you at least no,
1: no. What happened to me with with I never. <laughs> I the, we're back to the fear factor again. When I was out here with Harry, when we first came out here with Dear John and all mm-hmm, of that, right. Um, All the years that I would come out here to work, it was usually, it was theater, weirdly enough, because it would be at places like The Globe. And when we came out with Dear John, I was in that state of mind of, I don't want to think that anybody thinks that they should audition me because my husband's on this show. And so I always kept a very low profile Mm. and all of that, which was really, Nathan, crazy. It was just going back to that girl who thinks she didn't have the credentials. And also because yes, I could, but you come out here and uh, you're older. And but then finally, one of the producers of some show said to me, "You're nuts." And so I started auditioning for stuff, and it didn't matter to me where some people who had started, if I had started out in film or TV, right. It would have really bothered me because by the time I started really auditioning out here, the roles were... um, I think I got Aaron Brockovich. I'd been at St. Louis Repertory, and it's crazy the things that stimulated you. And I was doing a play called... Okaboji, two-character play in which the other character said about four things. So it was like a play wow. in which I never shut up. Yeah. And the other play that was going on at the rep was Cyrano. So here I had all this work to do, and yet being a good company, I went and I saw their production of Cyrano, and I don't think any of them in that production came to see me, and I just went. That's not what I was used to in regional theater. I was used to people being more. And I went, I want a larger audience. And I came back, and I don't know And right after that was when I got Aaron Brockovich. And it's just this head space you're in.
0: Right. Well, and and it, it's also, I mean, it's it's fascinating to hear, you know, your analysis of the situation. But it's, it's also admirable that you know, you were doing film and TV a little bit later in life than a lot of people you yeah. know, try to uh, tackle it. Uh, and so that, but you didn't let that stop you of, oh, I'm, you know, I'm X age. And so, you well, know.
1: you know, for one thing, as i always said my agent, I had an agent, I really, for many years, and he, I don't know, but my agents always keep me, even though I say, you know, I can't go out of town because I'm going to be doing this wife thing, and I want (laughs) to do it because um, it's worth it to me, and uh, be working on so-and-so projects and so. Never, it was always fine for him, but he told me, I was in his office, and he told me about, because when we were com- I was coming out here, I guess with Harry for Dear John, he had just had a discussion with uh, an agent out here who said, your uh, female clients over 35. Oh, well, all of your female clients over 35, you should just take a dump truck, put them all on it, and just drive them out to the beach and dump them in the water. Mm. And Peter said to me, and that's what they think of people over 35. <laughs> and I said, well, okay, I'll know what I'm dealing with. I didn't, I didn't, because it hadn't been, it wasn't my passion, it wasn't my love, it wasn't what I had been working in. Do you know right, what I mean? Right. I was I was okay. I'm, I've always, for somebody who has irrational fears in one area, I've always been very calm in another. It's like when people put down commercials in New York when I first went there and they all, I never did. First of all, the people I worked with in commercials, many of them, I was right to respect them the way I did, they became film directors and they became very successful at what they did. Or they became, they, commercials were everything you knew, exactly what you were doing, nobody pretended to be doing anything else. Everybody was precise on time. They did it well. I had great respect for them.
0: It's, and I imagine that's where you learned your film technique of of how to work on camera.
1: I don't. I don't know. I still don't think. I mean, <laughs> I, I I'm very comfortable on doing for film, but I'm not comfortable in television. Hmm. There's a difference. Hmm. I enjoy doing film, and I enjoy being around young people that have. You know, sometimes you work with young people, and they may be in their 20s, but they've been working since they were seven. Right. So you have a lot to learn, and I find it very interesting. Television, for some reason, television auditions make me... Film auditions are like theater auditions. I'm usually pretty comfortable. I don't know why. I think about it all the time. Why am I comfortable in film auditions, and I'm not comfortable in television auditions? Hmm. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I don't I don't know what it is. It's so interesting. I wish I could I wish I could figure that out. Hmm. You know. You know, we talk about it. You talk about certain rooms. There are rooms we do better in than other rooms.
0: Sure. Right.
1: <laughs> you know, it's just very right. very delicate. And uh and that's good because you never stop you never stop learning. I just I just wish I could enjoy it, enjoy it more once in a while. I wish I could enjoy it more, the way I enjoy auditioning for film or television. It's not that I'm crazy about auditioning, at all, as much as some people are. But I I do enjoy sometimes I enjoy it, and I think that that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get it. Weirdly enough, you know there there are many many reasons why you do or don't, but it's a never-ending process mm-hmm. of selection and all that. I probably made a mistake, maybe I made a mistake but my uh, by not working during the crazy for you time, but I did do, my time in Montana was always well spent in working on new plays and working with playwrights and in that birthing process has always taught me a lot and I really, really enjoy
0: doing it. Yeah, it's just great to hear, you know, what you, you know, that you did find things along the way that you did really, really love. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the new works and, and it was really, uh, cool to read that you were part of the first year of what became the Humana Festival of New American Plays in Louisville. Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, yeah. well, so what?
1: So that may, that, that may have stimulated my passion, mm-hmm. um, for new work because doing all of those plays and doing that. I mean, it was such a fertile time in Louisville. But I remember being in a situation where you're in the Victor Jory. I think I was doing Bartek's Dog, and that would have been that I was, you know, hair back, business suit. And changing on, the dressers would come, they would put me on the elevator and change me into... Melanie and Gone with the Wind, hmm. an absolute replica of that costume and a wig on the elevator and I would go right into the main stage of the Pamela Brown. It was just, it was wild. It was wild and it was wonderful. It was just a time that many, many actors and many of them are still working. Some of them are famous. Some of them are long haul career actors. Uh, the playwrights work that they, you know, it was just a, in this country you know john jory did a great thing when he started that yeah and it continues to this day and so that's when and those friendships that i started i re, re my friendship with marsha never kind of went away but you know you have lives and you have different things but we have always maintained a friendship and maintained a working relationship so i did when i would go to Montana, I would work on her plays, and her play, The Laundromat, she actually wrote for me,
2: Oh. Wow. and
1: then, uh, well, uh, yes, it was a Laundromat and The Pool Room, mm-hmm. called Third and Oak, and then right. okay. I did other plays with her um, down the line, and then the last one I did in New York, and I can't remember the theater, Nathan, Judy Ivey directed it, no, Judy Ivy directed something else I was in. I'm sorry, Judy Ivy was in it. It's called Trudy Blue. Okay. And um, so I know this stuff. The this stuff should all be, in, or should be somewhere.
0: We're getting it down in the podcast here uh, to some okay, degree.
1: Good. Well, there's somebody. It's like I go. I suddenly remember it, and then Judy Ivy did direct me. Now this, I don't know. If she's directed me once or twice. I think. There's a play called and "We Don't Give Up on This Play." Little Heart. There's a you know the playwright John Peele I uh,
0: I don't think I do Lord actually.
1: Agnes of God.
0: Oh, okay, all right.
1: Okay, his wife Irina Garden is a poet and also playwright, and she wrote a play based on the activist nun, whose nickname and artist was uh, Little Heart. I've done it now with so many different women in the league. I. I play uh, a nun that actually existed, just as Little Art did. Hmm. And some of those nuns still come to it. And I've done it with the leads, with, we've had Christine Esterbrook, we've had all kinds of them. The last time I did it, a couple years ago here, was with Amanda Plummer, who's very right for that role. It's one of those plays that no matter how you, who you get connected with it, Can't seem to get it, and and I'd done it once with Harry, and then the last time I did it was with Michael Gross.
0: Hmm.
1: See, there's all sorts of stuff going on that people don't know about. (laughs)
0: Well, what I what I wanted to comment on is it. You know, it sounds like a lot of the people that you connected with, whether it was Marcia Norman or Gene Stapleton, there were these things that maybe happened by luck or happenstance, and you were just in the right place at the right time. But then you made it sounds like somewhat of a conscious effort to maintain these. Friendships and professional relationships uh you know, from that point.
1: Well, I don't I don't know if I made it. You know, there's certain there are certain friendships that are going to be friendships no matter what. Sure. But there are some certain ones that come from the fact that you work really well together and you respect each other's work. And mm. if you're in um my friend my friendship with the playwright James McClure was like that. We were very good friends. I mean, since you're interviewing, we long-haul actors. Yes. We people who have been in it since the Punic War. <laughs> we people who managed to find a way to keep on keeping on. Right. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and they're giving the first award under Gordon Davidson's name. It's that, and um, a lot of directors and people we know that are because it's given by the Society of Directors and Choreographers. And Harry and I are invited because Harry had a kind of a special relationship with Gordon, although many people did, but they did have. And B, he did much work at the Taper. And C, many of those directors in that room are friends of ours from way back when, whether it's Tom Moore or Sheldon Epps, Many of them, but that I was standing there at the at the and they're giving the first award and they're giving it to Oscar Eustace, who has flown out right yeah. to receive this award in this tiny room, the rehearsal room that they've chosen, which of course meant a lot to us because it's where Antias first started mm, okay. in this rehearsal. Yeah, wow. And so we're standing there, and it's a very handsome man in the, and looking at me, and I'm looking, and finally comes over and he says, "Dawn." It's Larry Carpenter. Now Larry Carpenter, and of course I recognize him because he was handsome then and he's handsome <laughs> now. Uh, Larry Carpenter, who is a man who works on, uh, he's a TV director now, but when I first worked with him, of course, I immediately went to a production of, in my head, of Vanities that I had done at Seattle Rep. Okay. Um, but he said, no, the first, and the first production I ever did with him, and this goes back to the Lion Theater Company, and in New York, and it was a night at the Black Pig, a play that is about the hangout where Strindberg and all those guys, hmm. those happy, happy men, <laughs> yeah. hung out. And the actress who had been playing the role, I guess, it had some sort of nervous breakdown. And I guess when I came in, they were just so. They were just hoping that my look was so right that that I could walk and talk at the same time. But, you know, when you come in and you save the circumstances by coming in. And it was a wonderful experience for me and made some lifelong friendships. Uh, people who, such as Jim McClure, because at that time he was an actor in it, Greg Grove, all kinds of people in it. John are known. The only play I think he's ever, who's one of your more famous set designers. There's just the list of people in that play. Um, and that company that has a history because it spawned directors like Garland Wright. He was one of the heads of it. and and uh, And Larry and I looked at him and I thought, both of us registered, That long term, and of course he's interested, wants to know about, he's very interested in Antias, uh, but the reason I worked with him again is because I showed up and did my job and more. Mm. And my long term relationship with him, he wanted to work with me again, so he hired me again, and that's what you have to do, you have to, you have to, if you do your work, they wanna, people wanna work with you again, if they can, if they have the power to do it, and then they wanna work with you all those years later. So it's it's um, it can be a wonderful, it's treacherous as, <laughs> as the world is and as hard as it is. It can also be a world in which no matter where you go on the planet, you will eventually will know somebody mm. in that town because there's always some actor, some artist, some director, somebody who's there working mm. that you're also going to know.
0: Well, I wanted to ask about a specific play you did a couple of times. You mentioned you've done roles or or done productions a number of times, which can be helpful. When I was doing some research, I saw you did All My Sons twice, I believe, in the same year with...
1: Oh, no, I did it forever. Okay, all right. I did it at Longmore (laughs) with Arvin Brown, who directed it. And at that time, the lead woman was... Francis McDormand. Oh, okay. And Ralph Waits. And then we took it to the Ford Theater and that was that was great. We did it in DC and Ralph left it and Richard Kylie came in mm-hmm. and Francis left and Jane Atkinson became the girl. In the meantime, Stephen Root and I stayed the same and Jamie. Wonderful, wonderful actor.
0: Oh, he was on the the Law and Order, Criminal Intent. Yeah, That's what a lot of people know him from, right?
1: Yes, know him from that. And he was spectacular in this. And he and Kit Flanagan, so we all stayed the same. Then we went to Broadway, and we stayed Richard Kiley, Jamie, Jane Atkinson, Stephen Root, myself, Kit Flanagan. By that time, we were a troupe. And then... Let's see, I mean, how many years was I with this?
0: Did you do the Westport Country Playhouse in Connecticut before the Broadway run or after?
1: No, this was at oh, this was way up. Okay. This was after. What happened was when I talked to you about connect the paychecks. This was a time that I—that's how I ended up at going up there to do that instead of a lead someplace else that I had been. I went up to do for um, how I got involved with all my sons with Arvin and them in the first place because, A, I wanted to be near New York, near my husband, and, B, um, and when we continued, I continued, was continuing this because this was constant work.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you know what I mean?
2: Right, right.
1: And sometimes you need in to take constant work. Uh, so uh, Stephen and I went, Jose Ferrer said, I'd like to, Redirected, And Franny Sternhagen, who I really, you know, instead of Joyce Ebert, who was in it the whole time, uh, Franny did the role. And that was a thrill for me. Plus, the fact, it was wonderful because we did the whole Westport, Algonquin, whatever. So Stephen and I, and I think we may have been the only people from the Broadway cast mm-hmm. that stayed. And I think the girl who was the understudy in the Broadway cast. And Franny took over, and it
0: was great. You know, since you worked with Stephen in so many incarnations of that play, <laughs> and so I, I'm curious how the scenes evolved, because, you know, you're playing the the husband and wife, and so I'm curious, yeah. like, how the scenes evolved, you know, from different productions.
1: I don't know what it is. They stayed fresh. We just aren't, yeah. you know, some people have trouble with that, but honestly, um, that's one of the things that you have to... Learn how to do. It isn't... One of the things when you do a play for a very long time, like a year or something, it's odd because instead of really, if you don't focus, instead of really knowing your lines, you'll forget them because you've said them so many times. Sure. And so it's a matter of really, it becomes another skill. It's a different skill you have to adapt. That was something that I learned, you know, when I when I did that. When I went out on tour with Crimes of the Heart, you you have to concentrate twice as hard because it's hard enough. I mean, I have it in a short run. I go, did I say that? <laughs> yeah, I said it today. <laughs> you know, it's just a skill you have to work on it. That's why I say it's an it's an interesting line of work because there are always new things that you have to <laughs> that you have to hone and you sure. have to uh, do. Well, I think Stephen and I, you know, we always I don't know there was always something so dear about it. There was something so real that the the moments that we had mm-hmm. that. Um, it wasn't one of those that you had to worry about it. I know sometimes those things do happen. That just wasn't one of them.
0: Right. Well, you've had so many uh amazing people in your life, uh and just, you know, we've touched on a few of them in this conversation, whether it's Jean Stapleton or her husband Bill Putsch or uh Marcia Norman or, or uh the Shakespeare teacher you mentioned you worked with for a year that, you know, was totally different yeah. from everything you had done prior and you know, a number of other people. Do you is is there one thing of some of your early days that you still feel like you just absolutely still feel like you use today as an actor that you can, you can really trace it back uh, very clearly to one of those people, either seeing them do something or, or them saying something. Uh, I was just curious if, or Uda, you know, I, I don't know if I mentioned Uda Hagen as well, but.
1: All of those people that I learned from um, and, and I should say that when it came to comedy, there may be things that I may not, Be able, for instance, in the times that I worked with, we're talking, let's talk about the Yiddish theater in New York. Oh, yeah. I worked with what I consider some of the greatest comedy actors. They were stars of the Yiddish theater, Henrietta Jacobson and Julius Adler. And through that, their son, Bruce Adler, who then came to do four Broadway shows with my husband Hmm. and become one of my husband's best friends, Brucey. We're talking about you, Brucey. Bruce is no longer with us, mm. um, but he is always with us. Yeah. And he had... Um, from those people, yes, I learned things about comedy and timing. Sometimes they asked me to do things that I was... I'd go, oh, please don't make me do that. <laughs> <laughs> but but I was really glad they did because they helped me develop <laughs> bravery and and having no shame. Mm. Just, you know, and then they were wonderful. I'll tell you a quick story about something that sure. happened to me once when I was doing... I was doing a play, maybe it was Come Blow Your Home, with uh, Bruce, Henrietta, and um, Julius, and we're out of town. I think we were somewhere in Ohio. Oh, my God, I really am one of those. And, but it's true. <laughs> I'm really one... Um, I should put my resume online somewhere, Nathan. When I'm talking about it, I go, I've done so many. Plays. You have. Anyway, so we're, so we're in the curtain call, it was, all, you know, that's another thing. None of us, none of us really do curtain calls well. Because one, Antius has a wonderful theater company. Well, we don't do curtain calls well. We just are all terrible at curtain calls. And <laughs> people like Henrietta and Julius and then people in, like the ACT, like the companies of Bill Ball, people should take lessons and uh, from those people of how to do curtain calls and have pride and all mm. of that. But we're we're all too embarrassed. <laughs> you know, all of that, we come out and nod and it's just... But anyway, Henrietta, in that c- curtain call, she used to always come in and, and it would be pretty, um, you know, pretty bold and pretty wonderful curtain call. But suddenly on this night... Henrietta runs out on the stage. Now, I don't know. I don't know how old she is in her 70s. I never knew how she was always old. I never knew her young, so she was old. Um, And she runs across the stage and jumps, straddle on Julius and does a a backward, goes down to the audience backward, holding on to Julius by her legs away. And of course, the audience went crazy, but I couldn't I couldn't believe it that this was her curtain call. So I said to Bruce, when I got to say, what on earth? What what went on? Why did Henrietta uh, do that in the curtain call? And he said, oh, Molly Pican is in town and she uh, always does a cartwheel in her curtain call. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so Henrietta did this kind of curtain call. So Henrietta, it was was, um, you know, I got these people at the end of their life and I am thrilled that I was able to be exposed to them and exposed to comedy and the things they taught me and the things they taught me about every single one of these people, whether it is those stars of yesteryear of the Yiddish theater or the stars, uh, the people like Gene or Bill Potts or, uh, Any of these people, they have the same thing in common that some of the movie stars I work with, the young women, um, certainly not my friends, but I watch them so carefully, like Julia in Aaron Mm Drakowicz. They all have the same thing. They have this incredible work ethic. They do their work. They show up prepared. I think almost every movie star I've ever worked with is that way. Certainly Jeff Bridges is, but I always thought of him as kind of, you know, it's like his background was almost like a theatrical background in a way, Mm -hmm. because you had that history of family passing on to the family. And all these people, you know, I I did a small part in a, a movie that Bruce Willis both acted in and produced And he came in asking, you know, I'd always heard people said bad things and people, uh, I sometimes think in our business people tell stories according to their political affiliations Mm -hmm. and if they don't like somebody's politics and I don't, I don't participate in that kind of thing. He treated all of us with great respect and he wanted to rehearse. People weren't, I didn't think the people working were very nice to him because I didn't think they but he wanted to rehearse, and he rehearsed as if we were doing a play. Mm. And I noticed that with all of everybody, young and old, and I'm sure I could work with some 13-year-old kid who's been doing a show since seven, and they'd all have the same thing. Right. It is how you, you, how you prepare and how you treat other people in the end, because if you want, if you want a good product, you're going to more easily get it, uh, almost everybody I ever worked with that I respected took their work, maybe they didn 't take themselves so seriously we don 't have to you can have but they took their work very seriously and you know, yes, there is the school. I know that Angie you know there is the school like larry pressman mm-hmm. um,
2: right. it
1: is it is kind of nathan it it is kind of your religion, sure, you know, and that 's why you end up. Giving a lot, people give, end up giving a lot of time,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: if you are able to, resources to places like Antius my actors, some of us do what we do because we think that what we do is part, is something bigger than ourselves. And we want to be, we want to, uh, we want to be part of that, and we want to be part of helping people do it as well as possible. And if right. there aren't, you know, if there aren't places out there, I mean, you probably know more than I do about if there are places out there for people to work. I certainly haven't seen, um, you know, because the places that might ask me to work are the same places that I worked before. I don't know if there are new theaters going on out there. I don't see so many. I don't see so many openings. I'm talking about paying theaters. Of course, right. I think yeah. It's the same places. Anyway, that that's what that's what I take from him. I take from um, showing up, and and also I was taught to be brave and to dare to fail. That it wasn't going to kill me. I may have been fearful when it came to certain points of the business. I may still have those fears that crop up. I may have had fears like that, but I was not fearful when it came to using my imagination and making a choice and if it wasn't right, taking the lumps and, you know, trying again. Um, Because the more you use your imagination, it's it's like a, I don't know, it's like a muscle. The more you use it, the more more fertile it becomes. I find that as an older actress, I have... An absolute I could go in if i if i didn't want to overwhelm them I could go in with a lot of do you know what I mean? I have a lot of things to offer
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that can be edited i'm a person who returns to the text all the time, and when I study for a role, i never i go back to the text always it's not and that's why learning the lines are so helpful i go back i I read it and i I find something. New constantly, it's a way of keeping it fresh, and you're shocked at what you hadn't seen. Sure, the month before.
0: Right. Yeah. Absolutely. It really does sound, in a way, uh, and, and, I'll, and I can at least speak to um, your experience with is That you know, there's almost a sense of trying to be stewards of the theater of of you know keeping something going and and passing it on.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I know, and it sounds so pretentious and all that, but, <laughs> but it's the truth. Right. It's the truth. And that's why, you know, in situations like this, you're going to say things that you go, oh, God. People go, oh, God, I can't believe. But it's the truth. We do want to. We do want to pass it on because
0: I don't know. Um, well, but it isn't that pretentious because that's what happened for you. I mean, that's just yes. how it works. And that's
1: exactly. Uh, you just made me almost cry because that's. Absolutely. On one hand, I didn't have people, I didn't have that many people helping me business-wise. My business, anything that good that happened to me in the business happened to me because I just either had no idea and just threw myself into the situation or I I plunged in. But nobody really kind of, maybe that guy with, with Richard Barr, but even that was... Sort of um, only one person, but the people who helped me creatively when I worked with them—that's a different thing. Mm. Because I found that in all my study, the true way I learned was by doing. And the more you do, the better you become. It's—it's it's like that book that was written. How many hours are you supposed to work oh, on? Oh, ten thousand, right? Be- yeah. Yes, before you become an expert. Well, it's sort of that way. In your work. Mm -hmm. And that's why I guess I feel more comfortable in theater. Right. Because I've done more work in theater. But I I think you do. You know, I've only once worked with one actor in my life that got worse as he (laughs) worked more. (laughs) I've only experienced that one,
2: Yeah. And so
1: that was so extraordinary. But for the most part, everybody improves. It's the same way of I never put down when I was coming up and all those ingenue roles
2: mm-hmm.
1: and people would go, Oh, Oh, and I've never put them down. Those roles, first of all, they were usually huge. And secondly, they were so difficult because people are always going to like those character people. Um, you know, you're out there working, working, and then they're always going to like the, those funny, adorable characters but you learn a lot about how to craft a role, how to um build a role, how to carry a play i i I was always very happy in the in those kinds of roles I did and very grateful for it you know in the theater there's a lot that you can learn. you learn by doing, and I'm sure every actor says this you learn by listening mhm
2: mhm
1: you. If you, you learn by listening on stage, you learn by listening in rehearsal. And when I say listening, I'm talking about listening on every level. Not just listening when, to your character or to the, uh, because I'm not saying that you're gonna, in, uh, that you're gonna always follow what you hear. You're not always going to agree with the director. But I'm talking about listening to a play. Over the period of years, I have learned I can be in a rehearsal and after the first two readings, if the music of that play, because all plays to me are scored in a way. If the music is wrong, I'll know we're in the wrong direction. If the music is right, even though we have some bumps, I'll know we're off in the right direction. If you do enough plays, you, you do start to hear things
2: mm-hmm.
1: as if it's scored. I mean, I go to readings to hear that and say, are we on the right track with that if we were to do that play? Right. And I'll go, no, these mm. people don't have the, uh, the play's not scored right. It's not music. And it can happen in scenes. You can have everything's really going well, but one scene, it's just the tone is off. It's not the music is off. I think that happens when, when you've done a lot of theater, or maybe it's just that is one of the ways I work. Sure. Um, I hear things in a, you know, almost in a musical way, even though no wonder they wanted me to do musicals. <laughs> I should have listened to
0: them. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> the final question I have is, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, anxiety and, and, and fear, and, and and no matter, you know, what age you are or when you are an actor, that stuff is always present. So I'm curious, when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or, or you've lost your focus temporarily. What do you do to ground yourself or, or what questions do you ask yourself? Like, how do you kind of get yourself back to that healthy place again?
1: Well, it doesn't so much happen. Oh, sure. I mean, it does have, I guess it does ha- happen, uh, in performance for me. It's more in, in business areas than it is performance. Okay. I have ways of breathing, uh, I do wish that it was taught more in schools now, theater etiquette. I came up at a time where theater etiquette was very important, and older actors taught me in, in no uncertain terms about behavior in the dressing room, hmm. um, and that isn't taught. I mean, I, I have actors that I dearly love to work with on stage, but I dread being in the dressing room because people need people need to have uh, quiet. Some people, uh, you know, we 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 were never you did not vocalize in the dressing room. I think that's even against equity rules.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, I, I'm stunned by it going on. And when you get older, you either have to decide to be the old fart and say something. Or you fear? I don't want to be the old fart. I'm not going to do it. I'll just go and I'll go someplace else right. to get quiet. But I'm a person who likes. To, I I t- get very quiet uh, when I prepare at the dressing table. It's a it's a process of becoming, and by the time I leave that table, I have become the character. Talk about pretentious, but it's absolutely true. Sure. It's all the things that go on and the thought and. I do do breathing things. I may not do the kind of medi- but breathing is I like listening. I believe that acting is breathing. And so I do go off and um, if I have to calm myself down I do it by breathing. <laughs> yeah. I bring myself to a place of but to do that I generally have to have calm and quiet. I can't have all that chaos right, that right. can go on. And, and I was very happy in this last production to see that the children that we worked with had absolute, total theater etiquette, somebody that these children are studying with.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Some of our older actors didn't, but the children were fantastic.
2: Oh, good. And
1: I was really, that, that makes me, you know, hopeful, yeah because it's it's important, i mean, to allow people to become
2: mm-hmm.
1: in a reasonably less chaotic um I think about it now, and I think when I came up as an actress and I feel so badly about it, you know everybody smoked in the dressing rooms, yeah. everybody yeah. smoked can you can you Can you conceive of that I know. now? And I remember actresses saying, if I can't have a cigarette, I wouldn't be able to. Well, that's just hogwash. We're not able to even going right. step outside. People step outside and smoke. But I remember it all. But, of course, I remember when people smoked in theaters, right. in the movie theater. Right,
2: right, yeah.
1: Oh, my God. I
2: know.
1: That's the only reason I and when I smoked, I started smoking because in my acting classes, um. the professor smoked. Everybody around me smoked. I couldn't stand. It. I finally lit up a cigarette. <laughs> And the, the the smoke became my, you know, as defensive. It's called, I called it defensive smoking. Oh, gee. <laughs> I, I couldn't believe how everybody's just puffing away. Yeah. Times do change. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, and I, you know, you hear stories of actors that, uh, you know, might have had a drink or two before the performance, and they, they somehow they make it through it, and I don't understand that either.
1: Well, that, that is... Um, I've certainly had experiences with that, but in all honesty, it, it was English actors' plays that I was in. Yeah. It was the English actors
0: who <laughs> had something, the drink. Something about their, their training, right. <laughs>
1: um And they may think that, you know, but, but no, no, it doesn't make <laughs> them better. Um, I had one um, one production I did of the Winhampton Leverty Oberlander play I did twice, the one she had like three husbands. I can't remember. And in one of the productions, one of my husbands, I realized, and um, I was just—I read him the riot act. I mean, I mm. can be—you yeah. know—I really. And he, and he was very offended and didn't understand. And but never did it again. I had only one bad situation. I'm just telling you, I did a production of Dark of the Moon that had been off Broadway and it was taken to a theater in Ohio and it was a very interesting production. All these gorgeous black witches that were naked and the lead boy was naked. He had won the After Dark, it was a magazine, and the after, he was a beautiful boy, but he was also a very good actor, but the actress playing the lead was an excellent actress, but she, but I didn't know that these people were smoking, and that she also drank. He was one of those pure people. Mm. He ate Chandler. He ate only health food, and he would come off and say, "She's just eating a moon pie," and because <laughs> <laughs> he'd be so upset, and she, and she was, um, she became so. Drunk, And I had a scene with her. Oh, geez. And I played like this very straight, serious kind of Bible-thumping character. And that girl had whatever substance she was on actually picked me up and threw me across a fence. Wow. Which I sprained my ankle. Oh, and geez. that was the only time I'd ever been injured by somebody. And I did not say a word to her because mm. that was too dangerous. But I went to them and the stage and then of all course, that. Yeah. And they... And I got, but you see, in those days, there were there were things going on sometimes. There were things going on in New York, off-Broadway, people would drop, well, maybe they did on Broadway, I don't know. They would drop acid, they would smoke weed, they would do, I was not one of those people. I do not believe in any kind of substance when you are doing a play or uh, you may think you're interesting, but trust me. <laughs> <laughs> you're not right right, right. oh so, uh, i didn't- i didn't complain about the moon pie, yeah but but, but the booze and the weed. yeah, I went, no, we can't have that right. we can get injured
0: well uh don, i could tell i can tell we can we could probably keep talking for another four hours uh this has been great yes. it, this has not been pretentious at all, it has been wonderful <laughs> and lovely, and uh thank you so much for your your time yes. and generosity.
1: Certainly, Nathan. I just blather on until you tell me to stop.
0: <laughs> oh, this, this has okay. been great. We, we had a great time. <laughs> hey guys, Nathan here one more time. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe so you don't miss anything ahead. Be sure to visit WorkingActorsJourney.com for additional info and links for items mentioned in today's episode, as well as all the episodes. You can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. All the links are on our site and in the episode notes. Become a premium member and enjoy additional benefits and perks of the show, starting at just $2 per month. Head over to WorkingActorsJourney.com slash premium to join the Working Actors community. And don't forget to claim your free audiobook at WorkingActorsJourney.com slash audible. Thanks again to today's guest and to everyone that makes these episodes possible. And a special thanks to you for listening. I'm Nathan Agin, and enjoy the journey.